0: Good evening, ladies, and welcome to Parshas VaYishlach. We have a few things on order for you for this evening. Uh, there's a lot of things in this parsha. All the struggles of Yaakov Avinu. We have many struggles. The struggle of Yaakov with the angel. Yaakov and Asa, of coming with four hundred men. We have Ruvain mixing up his father's uh, bed, taking it out of the tent and putting it in the tent of his mother. And we have Dina and Shechem, and some other things too. He goes back for some jugs, which ties in with Hanukkah. We're not going to deal with that. Um, we are going to deal with some juicy topics tonight. We'll get into three topics with the And just as an overview, before we begin, the Ramban tells us that Rav Yana, one of the Tannaim and the Mishnah, used to say that before he would deal with non-Jews, he would always learn the Parsha Vayishlach. Because Vayishlach is the... Quintessential part of how to deal with the world at large. And there's a lot of lessons we can learn from it. So we're going to ask some questions on three uh, episodes that happen in this week's Parsha, and we're going to explain them in more detail, hopefully. The first episode I'd like to explore with you is the fight between Yaakov and the angel. We all learned that when we were young, like most of us learned that when we were young, but we have to understand it on a deeper level. Because first of all, if you think about it, There's a lot of questions that pop up. Number one, why out of all our forefathers was Yaakov chosen to be the one struggling with the Malach? Why not the other forefathers? Like if this is such an important thing and it it sounds so Kabbalistic, the whole idea of it, whatever it means, I don't even even know what it means. That I'm I'm not gonna say I know, but we're going to learn lessons from it that we can understand. But whether he physically did or didn't, I don't know. I mean, I guess he did, but that I don't understand. That's too, too deep for me. But okay, so we first question here is why Yaakov is chosen. Also, he struggles with this Malach. The, the, the you know, t- it is supposed to be the Malach. We'll we'll st- we'll talk in a few minutes about which Malach this was. And they're struggling until dawn, and, uh, and Yaakov apparently wins wins this battle. And the Malach says, "Let me go because you know sunrise has come." And Rashi says, "Because I want to sing Shira. I want to sing a song to Hashem. That's why you know let me let me let me let me go." And um, so so Yaakov says, um, I don't want to let you go until you give me a bracha. You have to give me a blessing. So um, he asked the malach also, what's your name? And the malach says, why are you asking my name? (laughs) Like, what is his name? Like, why? Why doesn't he have a name? And then afterwards, Yaakov is wounded in his hip. And, um, you know, how, how can you win a battle if you're the one that's wounded? The malach wasn't wounded. Yaakov was wounded. So what does it mean he won the struggle? How do we understand that? And then you must know, ladies, that from this struggle comes the mitzvah or the prohibition, rather, in the Torah. You're not allowed to eat the Gid Hanashe. Now, a lot of people don't know what the Gid Hanashe is. I I was surprised in my past, but I'm not opening this up to questions. So instead, you'll just have to let me tell you. Unfortunately, that's the problem with Zoom today. Um, The Gid Hanashe, which is the sciatic nerve, is prohibited to be eaten by the average person, uh, any person, rather, for Gidhanush is forbidden to be eaten. Now, the sciatic nerve, any of you ever had episodes of sciatica, God forbid, we know it's like all the way from the back, all the way down the leg, sometimes it's a long nerve and, it, and nerves grow all the time. Now here in North America, there is no, there's no problems with Gidhanush because butchers typically don't sell hindquarters of meat at all. They sell it immediately to the non-kosher butchers because you have to have someone, an expert on staff called a tray who is going to sit there and meticulously remove the entire nerve from the legs of the cow or whatever animal it is. Not not, not poultry, but just beef. And um, this person is meticulously removing everything and it's very painstaking. You have to have a lot of fear of heaven. So in North America, basically no one does it? Not in the big cities, at least. I was told maybe in Europe, there's places where they hire somebody called a or where he sits there and just takes out the sciatic nerve. That's all he does. But we don't eat it at all. But in any case, if he won, uh, you know, it, it, why is it that we don't eat the Gidhan Nasha? Like, what is the, okay, we know it's one of these things we don't understand quite, but Nasha also means to forget. Like, to forget what? And, and why are we you know, if he, will, if he won, why are we focusing on the loss, you know? Okay. Now, second episode I want to analyze is why Yaakov bowed seven times to Asaf when he arrived with 400 men. He did three things you're supposed to do when you prepare for an enemy. You give to Tfila, doron, and milchama. That's what Rashi says. You pray whenever you're faced with a difficulty. You should smear somebody. If you have to, you have to give somebody a bribe or give a present to somebody to try to make amends and be prepared. If you have to wage war, you have to be prepared for that eventuality as well. So Yaakov, we found, um, did those three, but we won't enumerate them, but he bowed down to Asaph seven times. And the Zohar says he didn't bow down to Asaph, he bowed down to the Shechina. Now, I don't know, since when is Asaph synonymous with the Shechina? There's pictures going around the internet of Donald Trump dressed up like a Hasidic Rebbe. They put all the things on him, but I still don't think Donald Trump is good as he is um, from of. I don't think he's yet synonymous with our grace of God. You know, there's still a lot of mitos that have to be ironed out over there and a lot of other things. But um, the Esau, what, what are you bowing down to the Shechina that he bowed down to of? How do we understand that? We'll explain that. And finally, we're going to get into the juicy topic of Dina. We're going to talk about Dina and Shem, and, um, you know, Dina cannot be as bad as she's perceived because we do have a Jewish name called Dina. The Jewish girls are named Dina. She can't be all that bad. And after all, Dina ends up, um, she does conceive from her affair with Shem, and she has a child named Asnas, who ultimately marries Yosef. Asnas is taken down to Mitzrayim and was adopted by Potiphar's house. And Asnas ultimately marries Yosef. And interestingly enough, the only two of the children of the of the matriarchs that was not that were not born with twins was was Dina and Yosef. They were the two people that never had a twin born with them. Whereas all the other shvatim had a twin born with them. And it's uh, you know, and it's just very interesting. And that's why a lot of people say when the wife of Potiphar felt she wanted Yosef of chasing after him for a year. It was because she saw in some degree of prophecy that she was supposed to ultimately be together with him. So not her, but her adopted daughter ended up marrying Yosef. So in any case, Dina's daughter was, was, you know, married Yosef and um, she really didn't do anything bad, but we find that, that we'll talk about how this whole thing happened. But how could it be that Dina... Um, you know, when she went out and everything, um, she was grabbed by Shem, taken against her will. Later, they have the audacity to approach Yaakov and they say, "I want to marry her, and I'll give you a lot of money for her." Yaakov does not respond; he doesn't say anything. And Shimon and Levi think of this ruse. They tell Shem and his father Chamor, they say, "Listen, if you, um, if you're willing to uh, circumcise all the men." Then we will give you our sister in marriage. So everyone circumcises on the third day when they're all in pain, they come in and kill out, annihilate everyone from Shem. And um, Yaakov reprimands them. And he said, why did you embarrass me like this? Why did you do this? And it said, ha-kizona nasav, achosenu. Is our sister supposed to be like a harlot? That's what they answer their father. That's the response. Why didn't Yaakov say anything? Why did he do anything? Why did just they respond? And then at the end, in Parshish Vayechi, he supposedly curses out Shimon and Levi, and he says, they they were so angry. And you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to spread them all over the Jewish people. How am I going to spread them? Says Say them before that that Levi is going to be served in the base of Megdash, and Shimon is going to be all the Sofrim all the scribes and all the Malamdim of Klael Yisrael. Shimon and Levi are, now that's pretty holy. All the Klaikodesh people are from these two tribes. And it's, well, not all, Yisachar is also something. (laughs) But um, the, you know, it's interesting. That's the curse for them getting so angry. And were they right? Were they wrong? How do we understand the whole situation with Dina? And last but not least, what can we learn to have life-changing lessons from this week's Parsha? So ladies, let us begin. Okay, first of all, Rav, I saw this, I believe in Rav Galinsky, Zachrona but I saw it in other places. I just don't remember where, but I know for a fact Rav Galinsky says this, that the reason why Yaakov was what the chosen one of our forefathers to be started up with is because the Yitzhahara does not like to lower itself and bother itself with struggling with chesed. The Yitzhahara doesn't like struggling so much with what Yitzhak was good at, Gevurah, because self-control, self-discipline. The Sahara, though, is primarily concerned in destroying Torah. Because Torah is the lifeblood of the Jewish people. Torah, you know, is the synthesis, by the way. Chesed is, you know, is not self-control, it's giving. And um, Yira, of, uh, the Gevurah of Yitzhak is self-control. MS, the truth, which is Yaakov, is the blend of the two forefathers. It's the synthesis of all three forefathers is Yaakov. And that Torah is something that always always is very fragile in order that that's our struggle in life. That's it, because that's what we need so desperately. That's where the Sahara focuses itself on. You will never find a yeshiva that has a balanced budget, almost. So I remember Phyllis told me last year that in Rome, they have some kind of setup for um, the, the community. Something they have a setup for the community so everybody's taken care of. But then I answered her, What's Rome on the map of the Jewish world? You know, it doesn't rate like Lakewood, let's say. You know, it's always the Chavitz Chaim said this that Torah always exists on a miracle. It's it, it just a miracle. That's the test of how much do we support Torah. Um, financially, physically, mentally, spiritually, that's where our test is because that's what makes us better Jews. The more halachas we learn, the more Musa or Hasidus that we learn, the more Torah that we learn, we become closer to Shem and we think more like God-like in our approach to life. And that's why it's so important to be connected to Torah. So that's why he has it. Now, for Zev Lepshly to tell us that the different struggles that Yaakov had um, this particular struggle with the Malach. There's a whole locus, who the Malach was. Some people say it was the Sarosh, Most people say it was the Saroshal Asav. It's Asav's representative in the spiritual realm. Some people say it's the Satan, You know, the uh, Yetzirah itself. Some people say it's the Malach Michael. But in any case, and then other people, there's many different opinions of who he is. But the quest. But the main thing is. The Malach says Revleff represents all the struggles the Jews have throughout the centuries. The Malach doesn't have a name because there's different names one year it's one century it's communism is the struggle for Jews. It was said that we lost more Jews to Zionism than we lost from Hitler. You know that that, that they they killed they took a lot of kids. If you ever read these horrific stories about what happened to these children after the war, a lot of them were taken. And you know, we're told forget about your religion. You know, we have a new religion, and that's called nationalism. We had socialism, we had Zionism, we had Bundism and communism and and uh, Marxism and and humanism and and then all the other groups: conservative and reform. And there were challenges every century, every decade. There's challenges. You know, there's so many challenges now for the Orthodox community. And on a personal level too, throughout your day, our day. We have one in the morning, it's this challenge, in the afternoon, it's that challenge, evening, it's this challenge, or it depends which person is with us right now, or it depends what our environment is right now. We always have something that's pulling at us, that's challenging us all the time. Like the Masil Sasharm says, it's milchama panim you're You're surrounded in battle. That's what this world is. It's a battle. It's a temporary world, but it's a constant battle. To deserve Olam Haba, we have to fight. And Yaakov, in the next week's Parsha, wanted to have an easy life. He wanted to have an easy life, but we're not in this world to stay stationary. And the only way to really get us to move is to, to struggle. You know, that's how it is. If you want to exercise a muscle, you want to develop muscles, you have to keep moving them. You have to have there to be some straining, some challenge to the muscle to grow it, right? So, too... We grow through struggles, you know, that, and, and, and these struggles make us better people. We find that the biggest, the most productive period of the Tosfas was during the Crusades. When they were the most, there was torture and people were losing their lives. That's when they say they came out with the, we all need the Tosfas. There are holy, you know, writings for us all the time. At the end of the struggle, the Malach has to be set free, but Yaakov realized the value of the struggle. The, um, when, when the Revzevlev says, singing Shira means that the Sahara the is there, or any struggle is there. All the suffering we go through is only at the end, we're applauded. Look how well you did despite the struggle. You don't always feel so good, but the, we're, we're going through a struggle and we're meant to o- overcome it. Rav Dessler says the word ra is the same letters as the word air. Air is like, he's orarus. it's like to be awakened. Ura kavodi, to awake somebody. The trua is also like that from the shofar. The the idea is the purpose of evil and, and bad is to arouse us, to remind us, this is not the real world. This is the temporary world, the world of tests. And we're supposed to not put all our trust into this world because otherwise we're going to be very disappointed at the very end. We, we, we forgot what we're here in the world for. The, uh, now the, um, the says another little idea about Ra. He says Ra really is a facade. It says that falsehood doesn't have feet to stand on. You know, it looks like it's something horrific we're going through. First of all, a lot of things pass in life. And even if they don't pass in life, anything false or evil or difficult in life, what ends up happening is um, we see ultimately it just dissipates. Everything dissipates. If every minute is different than the minute before or after, you never know what's gonna be. Like, did we ever imagine we're gonna be in the middle of this right now that we're all going through all kinds of different things. Now, how did Yaakov overcome? What does it mean he overcame? So it says, right before the struggle, by Yavasir Yaakov Levado, that Yaakov stood alone. You know, he went after some jugs of his, that's a whole other drasha that we're not gonna do tonight, but he went alone. Rav Shleim HaKarbach, he rest in peace, said he knew, he, he was a Talmud Chacham, he knew that there was a verse similar to it in Nach, the Niska Hashem Levado, in Yeshaya, that Hashem's stand dwells alone. Why are those two verses similar? They're similar because being alone means you're independent of influence. Nothing influences you. You don't need anything to affect you, not limited by external forces or impressed by external forces. When it says by Vaser Yaakov Levado, Yaakov was on the level where despite his trials and tribulations, he was above it. He remained above it. It didn't affect him. I, th- I always find this is a, I always have to bring a story at least once a year because it's something Klai Yisrael has to remember. We have to remember someone that really lived with this premise his whole life and that was Rav Avram Ben Avram, the famous Geert the Count Count Valentin Petofsky who lived in Vilna and in the early 1700s and he merited to be buried right next to the Vilna Gone. They share a the same tree overhanging both their graves I always say it's a good idea to, to think of him on his yard site, which is the second day of Shavuos, because he never had any children. The Avram Ben Avraham was uh, studying to be a monk, and um, he decided he wanted to look further, investigate. So he decided to, to get into the real research, the real libraries, the Hebrew sources. And he, start, he got himself to learn Hebrew, and he went and studied. And, you know, by the way, as an aside, the biggest Judaica library in the world is in the Vatican. Because they have confiscated so many things illegally that a lot of people there's, you can ask anybody writes farm that um, I remember somebody once came to my house many, many years ago, telling us this person like had all these books on Rishonin, on early commentaries, and he went to the Vatican in the basement, and he copied, you know, the original writings of Rashi, et et etc, etc, etc. And it's all there in the Vatican. There's also big rumors that they have the menorah as well over there in the Vatican because there's this famous Arch of Titus in Rome. You can Google it if you have a computer or you can look it up. It's like a sculpture, a bas relief, I think it's called in architecture. It's sculpted into this arch and they have a whole, um, like it's a sculpture of a bunch of Roman troops coming out, holding the menorah, leaving Jerusalem, coming into Rome. So you know, we think the Aaron Kodesh is in Ereẓ Israel. You got all the tour guides; they always say it's probably somewhere in Eretz Israel buried. But the Menorah is very likely in Rome. Any case, so they and they came to all this, of course, illegally. Plus, people have told me that the Church owns a good section of the old city. I don't know if you know that, but someone told me that. Like they were trying so hard to get the Cave of David Amelach because then they could say Mashiach Hazar's kind of thing. I don't think they succeeded yet, but I heard that they were trying very hard for that. In any case. Abraham had the audacity eventually of seeing the truth. He felt he can't deal with a religion. that doesn't make sense to him. And he became a convert, very famous convert. But the church, this was the ultimate sin that you, that you left the cloth, so to speak. And you went to embrace Judaism. Like, you know, it, it was very bad, sca- big scandal. So at, uh, somebody told on him uh, his whereabouts to the church. A uh, yid, a uh, master on him. Someone was in, Someone was uh, jealous of him in some ways. He used to go to talk to the Vilna Gaon about many questions he had, and he, ultimately he got taken by the church from his chuppah. That's what happened to Ravan ben Avraham, and he was taken to be burnt on the second day of Shavuot in front of uh, crowds of people to show what happens if you leave that religion. And um, this, a lot of these things were told, but there was one yid that snuck out in order to take his body for burial, and also he was going to make the bracha al Kiddush Hashem. He wanted to say answer Amen to his bracha. The, the Vilna Gaon offered to save him through Kabbalah, but he refused. In any case, they, the, 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 the di- there's a lot of different things he said that I don't. I mean, that were written. One of the most famous things that he said was his. Uh, tormentors asked him at one point. They said, "Where's your God right now? We're the we're the successful religion. You people, look at you. Look what you are, and how how tormented you are. Who says you're anything?" And he answered them, "You know what? When I was a small child, I used to like making soldiers out of clay." And they lined them all up. You know, this was the male thing in those days. You know, you can't have wild video games. Instead, you have uh, buildings, clay soldiers. So, you know, he built these clay soldiers. And um, he said, some peasants from nearby came and trampled my soldiers. He comes running into his father crying. And his father says, my son, why are you worried? We'll get you soldiers out of clay. I mean, out of lead, out of uh, copper, out of, you know, gold, if you want. And they'll be permanent. Don't worry about it. It's nothing. So he told them, you think by killing me today, you've taken my soul, you've only taken my body. And with that, he said, Shema Yisrael, and he was nifter. So this showed a man that did not let the vicissitudes of life get to him. I'm going to an extreme example, but it shows how a, a yid can rise above his background and, and become, you know, greater than his background. Now, we find that the... Um, it says when he fought with the angel, he's given the name Yisrael. Yisrael stands for Kisarisa Elohim Elohimba Anashimba Tuchal. You fought with um, with forces and you fought with people and you 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 know you you were victorious. So the question is asked, what do you mean he he won with people? At this point, when the Malach gave him the bracha, he had only been victorious with the Malach, with the angel, he hadn't yet uh, struggled with of in any way. Just his his angel, so to speak, whatever that means. He struggled the angel of the, of, of Esav. So, the Briskerov from Eretz of Rachas, tells us that the reason why it says he's when you fight with malachim, when you fight with the spiritual forces, you have nothing to fear in the physical world. You, even something like that happened to he himself one time. In Vilna, when he was living there, um, at that time, the communist regime was taking people's homes whenever a soldier would need it for a base of some sort. They would just grab a Jews' home and just evict them, and they'd have to go into some little hovel somewhere while the communists took over his house. The family was worried, and the briskarov told them, do not worry. If we're okay in Shamayim, then we're okay in Arendt's. You know, that the main fight, with struggle we have to have is the forces above that bring down the blessing to below. And and he was never harmed at all. And as soon as he left, he left Bill, and at one point he felt it was getting dangerous. As soon as he left, they took his house. But in any case, it doesn't mean that every time you're a holy person, nothing bad befalls you. It just means that the main we have to work on our spirituals. That's the only thing we have to tackle. The physical is up to Hashem. If we can kind of, so to speak, make peace with Hashem, that's where we have to get fine favor and not in the eyes of whatever else is around us. Now, when he was, when he was struggling, he was wounded in the thigh in that area, in the sciatic nerve. The Tanchuma says an interesting thing. This is again from Revzev Zev left this little part. He says, angels don't have a hip joint. You know, Malachim have two features that are uh, the many features. They have wings and everything, six wings, but they also have one foot. One foot is because they only have one agenda. They don't have a Yetsahara, so they don't have this physical versus spiritual fighting within them. They only have one foot, uh, but they have no hip joint because what's a hip joint? Hip joint means you feel defeated, you feel overwhelmed. You have like you know you know the expression, you, you better sit down for this one. You know, you tell somebody even when it's exciting news, you say you can. Have, you, yeah, I want you to sit down with what I'm about to tell you, you know, because sitting down means I just can't go on anymore. I have to take a rest. I have to take a break. That's human. A malach doesn't have a hip joint because they're always ready to on the move. There's always something going on. It's it's quite lively, you know. It's it's, it's it, it, you know. So the thing is, they're always ready for action. And and this is what Yaakov when he was wounded there, it doesn't mean anything bad per se. It means He's human, and it also means some, a lot of the Mephorshim say that the fact that he was wounded in his lower part refers to future progeny, that Yaakov himself was perfect, but perhaps some, some of his progeny were not perfect. Some Jews in the future are not going to be so perfect, and they are affected by Esav. But we don't eat the Gid The reason why we don't eat it, the Sforno says, is it's not important where he was hurt. And anyways, they said, if you would eat the Gid says the Sforno. It would taste like wood. It's nothing important. It's teaching us not to be overwhelmed by adversity. You know, they have fake everything today. They have imitation crab, imitation bacon, but there's no imitation Gid hanasha, (laughs) because that's how unimportant it is. There is no place in the cuisine of a Jew, you know, or anybody, nobody wants the Gid hanasha. That's how we're supposed to view adversity. Adversity is garnished. Riff Sheinberg, when he lost his grandson, Shia, who was about, to, Shia Alpert was, I think, 17 years old, if I'm not mistaken. He, when um, at 17, they told Riff Sheinberg he was about to give a shear, and he's the grandfather. And he just said, give me a minute. He put his head down on his hand, and he said, I have to give shear. I, he, he wouldn't be allowed to do that as the father. He'd have to start sitting shiver. I mean, just get ready for Levi and everything. But he, um, in other words, he tried not, he was on that Madrega where he didn't let adversity, that's, that's something he worked on himself. It's not natural to, to unless you're heartless, which he definitely was not. Um, it's, it's someone that works on himself to develop that they're not going to let adversity get to them. They're going to be ahead of it. They can They can overcome it. So he's called Yisrael, that he 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 defeated the angel. He was the Tsar, he was the, he was the ruler, he won. But we lost physically, but not spiritually. And that's another important lesson for us that Reverse teaches us here. Sometimes we could have won a battle that we're not even aware of and we don't see the results. But sometimes we work very hard, all we feel at the end is exhausted. We don't feel like we've accomplished anything. But the truth is we may have accomplished greatly. Sometimes the greatest accomplishments in life are those we don't feel the results of. You know, it's it's mostly did you try your hardest? That's all that's demanded of us, is to try our best. Revolva Zatal tells us the egg, the legs are not the most important part of a person. The spine is. You know, so it's, you know, we're not we're not supposed to get overwhelmed by adversity. We should put put it in its proper place. Now, why did the Malach have to go sing Shira? Oh, Mazeltov for Ripka stuff, just had a grandson. Mazeltov just this minute. I hope everything's healthy, but I just got a, the news of that. Okay, Baruch Hashem. Any case, now, so the um, uh, in any case, the um, the uh, we find that that um, was like, I? I say I lost my focus. Okay, Baruch Hashem. In any case, the um. It says also that Yaakov was limping when he walked away from this battle, but he would later was healed. That hints in Olam Haba is where you fi- feel the healing. Sometimes we do a good deed and sometimes the best deeds are difficult people that we have to deal with. And we, we pass. you don't feel so great after you've dealt with a difficult person. You know, sometimes you feel you've been humiliated, you've been insulted. And yet if you can overcome that, that's really greatness. It's really greatness and only in Olam Habar are we going to realize that we did something. We didn't get, you know, overwhelmed by adversity. Somebody I would like to mention right now, we, we lost a very big treasure to the city of Toronto. We lost Rebbe Kirzner, Zahranah Lebracha. was very understated for who he really was. I mean, maybe a lot of people know, but uh, I happen to listen to the Levaya, but I also happen to have dealt with him a lot. When I was first teaching converts many moons ago, I drove him crazy. <laughs> Literally, I called him at least once a week and I had 20 questions at once because, you know, I had to know how Bachmer to be, how strict to be with a convert, how lenient to be, uh, you know, what's this, what's that, what's it? And he was superbly patient, superbly to like a gentleman plus. And his, the way he spoke, his, he was a master orator, master. But people even said one of his grandchildren was speaking and he said that um, he was with his grandfather once and his grandfather was insulted terribly by somebody and he saw no reaction. Like he was able to have this calm demeanor. He had shalom with everybody. He bridged the gap of the whole Toronto, whether you were religious, even people who weren't religious felt they could turn to him. And then the most Haredi elements of the community felt they could turn to him. And he was a wise person, wise and patient and kind. I just always felt I got fantastic advice from him. And I remember one of the weddings of one of my children. I was a single mother then, and it was not an easy situation at the, at the chuppah sometimes or at the weddings in general. It was not so posh it. Mm-hmm. Rabbi Kirzner, I remember before he got sick, of course, he came and he was like, he asked one of my sons to call me over right after the chuppah. He called me over, like personally, it was just so special that he thought of that to be so considerate like that. I have another person, I knew a woman who was like a social worker. And she said she had to have a meeting once of all these social workers in Rabanam about something. And she was the only woman. And her recursor went up to her, especially to put her at ease. Nobody else like thought of it, but they, you know that she would be maybe a little uncomfortable. He, he thought of her, he thought of the little person and his way he treated a human being, so much respect. It it just, he was a prince. He was a prince of a man. He really, we lost a a big, and it was a a humble, humble individual, very humble, and just made himself look like nothing. And then they were talking about how much of a Talmud chacham and a masman he was. You'd never know by the way he was so humble and unassuming in his ways. In any case, we lost that, but here was a person that overcame, and maybe that's why this is the parsha he passed away. And well, he passed away with erev Shabbos actually, but his levaya was this week's parsha, so you can still fit it in. Our last week's parsha, Vayetze Yaakov, but left the city, and this week's parsha, Vayishlach, is how he overcame all these difficulties and always with peace. The. Um, there's a there's a there's a story about this um, in the one of the ghettos in Europe. There was a, a Malamed. I saw this in the safe at a book called Touched by a Story. It talks about this Rabbi Aaron Yosef Friedman, who was an, a, a Malamed, and he taught in one of the ghettos in Europe. I forgot which one. And he was a handicapped man. And he, he was teaching them about Paro. And all of a sudden the Nazis burst in and they started they were really, you know, trying to break up Torah. So they bloodied him and threw him down and everything. And he said, Kindelach, we're learning about power. And the yiddin came out of Mitzrayim. He says we're going to overcome them too, but never stop learning. Never, never, never. That was his words while he was being beaten. It just showed, and he he survived the war, by the way. It just shows that a person, a person can overcome. A yid can overcome. And that's what we're here to do. And we're not supposed to make adversities overwhelm us. We have to be able to be. to to be overcome and we have to anticipate that's what life is life is one challenge after the other it's like you're in a boxing ring and in between the matches you know they wipe you down with the the wet cloth you know and then you're back in the ring and five minutes later five seconds later five hours later we we always are hoping for this moments of calm and peace and tranquility when nothing is ever going to bother us and before we know it (laughs) <laughs> that we're back in again in the struggle because life is supposed to be a struggle because that's where we earn the world to come and we actually achieve much more when we're in a struggle. Now, we find that um, the second thing we're talking about now is about why ya- why Yaakov bowed seven times to Esav, but the Zohar says he bowed to the Shrina. Rav Dessler's Zechran Bracha tells us, what do we learn from this? He says, what do you mean you're bowing down to the Shechino when you bow down to Esau? And this is supposed to be instructive how we're supposed to deal with non-Jews. We are not supposed to be putting up a big fight. You know, we're supposed to be somewhat submissive. In the olden days, there was the, what they called in the Middle Ages, the Mayafis Yid. There was a niggin from the Zmiras called Mayafis. And it used to be that uh, a would go take out a Jew and he said, go dance before the others. And the Jew would do it. It looked like we were the simpleton, the stupid one that dances before Goyim on a, on a stage. But the idea was we bow down to the, 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 the secular community, at least, you know, I'm not saying you shouldn't ask a rub and we shouldn't do legal struggles and things like that. But we act like a mensch to everybody around us because we're supposed to feel like we're bigger than they are. Just like you tell a child, you know, you can share with your little sister. She's three years old. You're six. You're big. She's she can't. she can't control herself like you. You could share. When you give in to somebody, what it really shows is you're not on the same playing field. You're not embarrassed to give in. Because what is it giving in? It's like nothing. Rapesa Crohn once said that the three most important words in a marriage are, I was wrong. I have another version, you were right. You could that's another one you can use and can use them interchangeably if you want. Both those words say that, that, that you stop an argument and it's tracks. As soon as you say you were right, why do we have to get on in the mud with the other person? If somebody else is doing something not nice, we could be above it. We don't have to, if, we get, if it gets to us, like that's what happened when you have a generation where people are saying rak kach or they're saying things like that what they're saying is i have to fight it because i'm there on the on the on in the ring with them we're not in the ring with them we're supposed to consider them not adversarial we're above it we don't have to we don't have to let them you know push us around we're we're above the whole thing and we have to have a focus like that and and you know that that that's why now when they had recently some of these demonstrations in new york they said like the satmareba Shlita got up and he told his followers in New York, they had these demonstrations where some people were screaming "Jewish lives matter" and they were burning masks and things like that. It was it, that's not the way a Jew is supposed to demonstrate. If they have to demonstrate, first of all, they should ask Das Torah, which I don't think they, they did in this case. There were a bunch of politicians involved. Secondly, they, you know, it's not a Jewish thing. We're not like that. We're not. We, we use the koch of we use the, you know, we are we're menschlich about. We can go through, you know, legal avenues. And look, they did. They in, in New York, they just went to the Supreme Court, I think a good all, and they won the case against the, the New York governor. They won the case that schools could be opened, you know, albeit to a smaller capacity because of, you know, COVID. But they, they were about to shut it, you know, and all those demonstrations did almost nothing. You know, it doesn't it just makes a bad name for ourselves. And we're and this is one of the main lessons from Parshas Ishlach in having to deal with non-Jews. So we see life is always a struggle. We're supposed to feel like we're above struggles, even when there is a struggle and we, we don't feel good about ourselves. That's the, we have to look at it as irrelevant. And the main thing is, did we are we growing? Are we going getting higher? And then the second thing is we don't lower ourselves on the playing field with people below us. Now, there's always somebody that's gonna shout out about uh, abuse, so I have to throw this in. Although in in things we should give in, for the most part, because not only is it a big bracha for ourselves to give in, because we'll be, whenever we do give in, what we're saying is that, you know, that um, that we're not on the playing field with the other person. We're not going to fight. We're not going to have a whole thing. We're above it. It's also a big bracha because you're 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 saying that it's not doesn't matter, and it, it is, we're promised whoever gives in, Hashem is, you know blesses them. But at the same time, if a person has major abuse, there is a time where a person has to. Has to do something you know there's times to call a rough if there's a problem that or with chinuch of the children or major issue that you can't come to you know together to on those are major issues you can't give in on, on big things um a person has to be able to a you know, person has to you know stand up for something i think is important and get to torah i had a student once a convert i don't know whose phone is ringing we were all muted i don't know i'm not the moderator so i don't know how to mute everybody. But someone should mute themselves. Any case, I um one time I had a student, she was from Russian background. Her father was Jewish, her mother was not. And she was highly abused. She was a professional person, very brilliant girl. Uh and she was a professional, but she was terribly abused as a child, and her parents continued on with it. It was horrible what they did to her. You know, and they were getting she was always giving the money and things like that. And they were like extracting lots of money from her. And she was still paying back her her, um, what's it called, you know, from uh, from uh, university, Um, you know, when you have to pay back your loans, her university loans, she was still paying. Student back loans. What? Student loans. Right, right, so the student loans that she had to pay back, she, um, you know, she was paying them back. At the same time, they were like, really, really abusive, like they used to lock her in the closet when she was a child for hours, things like that. And it was her mother mostly who wasn't a Jew. But in any case, uh, now she's a very firm girl living somewhere else and wonderful, very special person. But in any case, I schlepped her to Rafscheinberg, Sakranal of Rach, I remember. And he told her, you don't have to have a relationship with your parents. Now this is keep it of aim, we're talking about. But if you're not, the Torah does not want you to be abused. You know, like she, she, she was, you know, she was told you could write a card, you could send them, you know, wish them a a Mazel Tov, wish them whatever, but keep it brief and don't let them, you know, people like that, you can't, you can't have a connection with. It's not, that's not the midst of honoring parents. It's an important message. You may know somebody in your life that this applies to. So it's always good to spread this word because it's, it's not necessarily Torah philosophy to, you know, give in to people that are abusive necessarily, especially You know, the parent situation and people all think you have to listen to your parents. It's not true if they're if they're gonna really ruin your life. You know, it's it's rare, but it's 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 something that people should know. You never know you could give advice to somebody one day in your life. So I'm passing it on. Now, the um so so that's basically so we just said you have to keep your focus, but we we do give in. Giving in is not a lowliness. Giving in is being the ma yathis yid, the yid that giving in, you really are still the great person. Like, like you're taking my body, you're not taking my soul, like ravavram benavram. But uh, you're not really giving in when you give in. You don't have to have the last word. By giving in, you're really gaining because it shows you're not the weak one. Now let's enter the the, the tough Parsha here of Dina and Shimon and Levi. First of all, the way this whole thing begins is that Dina Shem and Chamor sent a troop of Jewish uh, of Jewish non Jewish women to come and entertain by Leah's tent. It was a bunch of bunch a bunch of non Jewish women doing some kind of musical thing. So she was you know, intrigued, she went out of her tent, that's as far as she went, and it says, but Tate say Dina, she went out, it was like Leah who went out, and because she went out like her mother, this is what happened to her. Now, first of all, when Leia went out, she went out to find her husband, and that night she conceived Yisachar, so Leia's going out, is pretty holy, first of all, and what does it mean that Dina went out? She said, that's how far she went out, but Revolba says, even in Yerushalayim of like, 50 years ago, men did all the shopping. Women did not go out. Now, today's we have world, we have to adjust ourselves. We're not, definitely not on that level. <laughs> uh, Hasidish women still don't drive because of this. This is the re- rationale why women don't drive in the Hasidish world. It's not modest. But um, for sure, we shouldn't be in places where a woman shouldn't be. Like I, you know, I'm just throwing in a halacha that I mentioned this morning. I asked Rabbi Lowy once about because um, my son told me there could have been an issue with drinking with a non-Jew, even though we're. I know you're not allowed to drink wine that was touched by a non a non-Jew. That's not mavushal What about drinking other uh, alcoholic beverages? So I asked Rabbi Lowy once. I just wanted to know because he told me first, I had, I teach a lot of converts. So he said, if you need for business, you can go to like a restaurant if it's not in a Jewish area and have like, you know, Coke with them or something in a glass at a tray for restaurant. You can sit there and have Coke if you need for business purposes, something like that. So then I asked him, well, what about like beer? You know, cause they do that in the non-Jewish world. They're doing that a lot, you know, like at these parties or whatever they're having, the meat gatherings, um, so Rabbi Loewy told me if it's a, at a restaurant, it would be okay, but at a bar where people are specifically drinking, he said a Jew should not drink with a non-Jew. Even, if people don't know this halacha. Even if it's like beer or whatever it is, scotch, I don't know, whatever it is, you, you can't have a drink with a non-Jew. Because it, it, it like, I don't think it just encourages relationships. I think it's also, and I would I would guess, I didn't ask Rabbi Loewy this, but it's just my thing i don't think a jewish woman belongs in a bar i just don't think so i don't you know uh you know it just doesn't seem like it's befitting a jewish woman like that for sure and then you hear stories anytime you heard in the olden days when i used to read the newspapers um when they ever talk about a rape it was always she was raped at three o'clock in the morning so what is a girl going doing i'm not a jewish girl god forbid but i'm just saying what is a girl doing outside at three o'clock in the morning so we know there are certain places that just beneath us to frequent or if there's all men present. Sometimes it's just not proper to, to show up there. You know, we have to, but there's still certain limits to how much we should be out there. And the way we dress, are we like drawing attention to ourselves that everybody when we walk in, every head turns? You know, are we the head turner lady? If we are, then we have to think twice about that because that is that's what Dina on her little minuscule level did wrong. It doesn't mean that just because bad thing happened to her just means she was guilty per se. Any case, so we find that um, Vyach Kamenetsky says that um, when a person swindles us, we have to be able to be willing to resort to plan B. Like, for example, we find that, um, you know, that, you know, here we're dealing with when they saw that Shem took Dina against her will, and by the way, he appeased her, it said that she wasn't even willing to go back with her brothers after a while because he knew how to keep complimenting her and telling her things. There's a power of compliments. Compliments have such a power to influence somebody, um, both in who you compliment and who compliments you. You know, if there's a, there's a iser in the Torah, lo sachanim, you're not allowed to praise an idolater. If you praise an idolater, you're like going to be more leaning towards him. This time of year, it's very timely. You know, there's all kinds of certain songs playing in a shopping, well, not that they're shopping, but <laughs> if there would be shopping <laughs> in a store, um, there are certain songs playing all the time that, you know, people get, people even start knowing their, their tunes and their, their lyrics because it's, they're played in the countries we live in a lot. Um, the, uh, and we're not supposed to, to succumb to, you know, to start singing those songs or being inclined to them because we may get uh a fa- you know feel favor favorable towards them you know a lot of people call um 25th of december they call it Kratzmach and the reason it's called that is because kratzmukh literally means scratch me they took the name and they made fun of it because it was it's an idolatrous holiday the reason there's a tree involved is there used to be uh, a zara of trees used to, ashera for example used to bow down to trees this was adopted by the, the Roman time. It was a pagan holiday originally, and it was just adopted by the Romans. So anytime we pay any homage to it, we're, so to speak, like saying that if there's a positive thing about it, like uh, I know that there's a certain Indian, if you want to give a present to somebody that's not Jewish, you should not give it. I, I heard this from a friend on a tape years ago. You shouldn't be giving it a ra- right around their holidays. Like you shouldn't give it on 24th of December. Give them, oh, here's for all your great work you know, do it either three weeks before, two weeks before, or do it after New Year's, you know, just to show you're not giving it because of this day of, of, that used to be an idolatrous day, you know, you're doing it because, uh, you're just, you know, it's just customary this time of year, and you want to show some type of, uh, appreciation. I mentioned this before that, um, my mother, Alesha, didn't go to Basiakov because there was no Basiakov in Detroit when she grew up. So she, um, she had this habit, she took us on Hanukkah, we went driving around to see the menorahs when we were little children. She also drove us around to see the lights. She didn't realize there's any, you know, and I didn't think, we didn't see nativity scenes, we just saw beautiful lights in the streets. I asked Rabbi Lowy about seven, eight years ago, I asked him, is there any problem looking at the lights? And he said, yes, there is. I didn't know this till seven years ago. Um, there is a problem looking at the lights because it's it's honoring this particular day. Because you know, sometimes you can marvel at such a beautiful setup. How they made it—it's so nice, it's so beautiful. It's a, but we're really to channing. We're really, we're really complimenting something that's idolatrous. Reverend Victor Miller said you shouldn't celebrate Thanksgiving. Now, not everybody agreed with him. Rabbi did not agree with him. but Victor Miller felt you shouldn't celebrate Thanksgiving because that was also originally a pagan holiday that they took and adapted for American Thanksgiving. Like he said, you shouldn't eat turkey on Thanksgiving. Like you shouldn't celebrate it the way it's done but that's just his opinion but in any case there's an idea of like you know by by you know (laughs) by telling her how great she was dina it was hard for her to leave afterwards so we have to be careful not to you know praise too much um things that have a smack of idolatry in them you know like we you know we have to say something like season's greetings or something like they shouldn't wish somebody you know whatever even happy new year is a bit of a problem because it's not our new year. It's a new year, according to counting, it was a whole thing again with the pagan stuff. Any case, now, Raviakov said like this, gives a muscle of a person, a Jew dealing with a swindler. He said one time there was a, there was a person that um, was, conf- a Jew was confronted by this guy that said, he holds a pistol to his head and he says to him, I'm gonna shoot you if you don't give me all your money. So the answer answers him, I'll give you all my money. This is an old Russian story, he says. I'll give you all my money but listen first when I go home to my wife what am I going to tell her I don't have any money he says here's my hat just shoot a hole through the hat and then'll I'll tell my wife that you know look I had a struggle i I didn't just have no money to bring home it was somebody who struggled with me she says says okay he holds the hand out he shoots it and he says can you do one like a lot of money here to give you so at the end the guy says i ran out of bullets he says oh you ran out of bullets i'm leaving then. now i don't have to worry about you it's no struggle the same thing when you deal with the swindler you have to show you have to have some degree of cunning you can't be straight with a swindler a swindler is you know then you have to i mean of course we have to ask a rub about these things but um here where the Shem and Hamor, you can't just you know it li- uh, legally give them Dina in marriage now after what they just did to her so of course you have to deal with them with some type of cunning now according to Rav Yaakov um, the, uh, uh, the what's it called um, Yaakov of was the epitome of, of truth and he felt it was beneath his dignity and he felt the whole generation viewed him as a man of truth and he can't employ such tactics now publicly even though he did it when he stole the brachas, so to speak, but he did that because Rivka told him through nevuah, and it was his mother and it was private. Here is a public thing. going to demolish a whole city of people. You can't, this thing about telling them to all of a brisk Mila, he just couldn't bring himself to do. He couldn't do it. So he instead, so, uh, so, you know, he kept quiet. He felt uh, someone else will figure out what to do. And Shimon and Levi came up with this ruse of everyone having a brisk Mila. Now, so that he, Yakovine was hoping, says Rabbi Yakov, that he would just grab Dina after they, you know, after they all had brisk meal and two weeks of protest, they'll grab Dina and run off, but instead they killed the whole city. So he was, you know, he said, why did you have to act in such a way? You embarrassed me. So they just said, should our sister be like a zona? Should our sister be like a harlot? What they meant to say was, Yaakov says, you know, the trait we see by these two tribes, the reason why they ended up becoming the Malamdin, the teachers, and they become the leaders of the Jewish people, Le- Levi and the Kohanim. Why? Because the other brothers did nothing. These, bro- these brothers felt burning sense of responsibility. Is our sister gonna be like a harlot? What are you just gonna do nothing? You know, just sit there and watch it happen, and not know what's happening to your sister. You're gonna, you're not, you're not doing anything about it. That's. These are the same tribe that said Mila Shemelai when it was the Chetah Egel. Shavit Levi got up and whatever Moshe Rabbeinu told them to do, they did. We need leaders like this that take each person's pl- problems like their own. Those are the leaders that the people were supposed to emulate. The leaders of the Jewish people. Now, however, says Rav Yaakov. Shafet Levi lived in Goshen. They lived in a separate area of Egypt and Yosef made a provision in the constitution of Egypt that the priestly case does not have to be enslaved. It'll never have to work. So the whole tribe of Levi was never enslaved in Mitzrayim. That's why they don't do haben, by the way. But um the the so they weren't enslaved. So what happened they that influence of always learning even in Mitzrayim had an effect on them in the future Whereas the tribe of Shimon had to work in Egypt and they didn't quite reach the level of Levi. And what happened with them ultimately was their leader, Zimri, took this Moavi woman and did a whole zealous thing against uh, Moshe Rabbeinu. And sometimes Shimon had a problem with themselves. They had problems. But any, any trait, it's a lesson for us about traits we may have, negative traits, midos. Midos means measurement zealousness can be excellent it could be fantastic if it's used properly there's two types of birds that are used for sacrifices one is called a tor which is a turtle dove and this bird um, can be used at any age this bird is very loyal to it they, the mother lays two eggs male and female they mate and they're loyal for life that's how the turtle dove family exists and um, now there's another bird that's used for uh sacrifices and that's the ben yona. the ben yona is a very jealous bird it sounds like borderline personality disorder to me but that bird every once in a while they get jealous of each other they suspect each other of infidelity they kick each other out of the nest they take turns kicking each other out of the nest and then they mate with somebody else because they've given up on this part and then they end up coming back together so this is the, the how their marriage goes on so I'm to speak of ben yona ben yona is only kosher as a youngin as a young one not in mature state because then it hasn't been tested with its family loyalty it's still, so in other words zealousness is good if it's not tainted kohanim are supposed to have big tempers by the way and the reason is because they're zealous and zealousness is very positive it's wonderful but it has to be used and not abused that's the, the important thing and sometimes you have to overcome adversity to get anywhere in life. Look at Sarah Schneer. She was put down by so many people when she started it. She was doing something that nobody ever thought of doing, and they all thought she was, you know, crazy or some sect. Who knows what? She she put up with a lot of ridicule. Mm-hmm. And um, I remember Rabbi Ruderman, Zecheran Lebracha, said about her that she was the biggest gadol in the last hundred years, second to the Chavetz Chaim, because she produced the most Torah people in the whole world. Was Sarah Schneer? And she was a woman she was single she was uh she was divorced she was married for a short period of time was divorced and look what she accomplished in her life never had children but she had thousands of children with all that she accomplished now we're gonna go i'm i'm really gonna keep to this will maybe be five minutes over time that's all so please indulge me um what did okay so there's different different opinions of what shimon and levy did wrong um basically I'll just give you a few. It's just we're not going to get into all the lundas because we're ladies, but the Ramam says they should have killed them all. They should have killed the whole city of Shem. Why? First of all, Shem and Chamor were kidnappers. A Ben Noach is not allowed to kidnap. Not allowed. It's one of the seven myths of Ben Noach. It's like stealing, a kidnapping, and stealing are synonymous. They're high of Misa for kidnapping. And what did the other people do wrong? The people of the city? They didn't set up a court, which is another one of the seven mitzvahs. They didn't set up a court to protest. So they're guilty. Rambam says they did the right thing. Now, Yaakov felt either they should have, he felt it's a kechel Hashem, because people are going to see like we're, um, it looks like we're, you know, we're not keeping our word. Why are you making do a bris um, And also Yaakov, according to some opinions, Yaakov also was protesting because he felt that, Eventually, we're prematurely trying to take over Eretz Yisrael. You're not supposed to start up with the Canaanite nations until it's time to conquer the land. So we're starting up prematurely. People are going to say we're trying to take something that doesn't belong to us. It's a halal Hashem. So So Yaakov had a different opinion. Perhaps they could have tempered it slightly, but they were justified for what they did. The thing they did wrong is that they didn't consult with their father. Ramban says that... Um, Setting up a court is not high of Misa for Ben He says they did Gilei Arias and Avodah Zara, and that's for that they deserved, the people of, this, of Shechem deserved to be put to death. Ah, uh, the rokeach said that they didn't listen to take away their idols, but everybody different things. Das said they regretted doing brismila, so they maimed themselves. A ben noach is not allowed to bruise himself, and they 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 said they were becoming Jews, and they didn't they didn't really mean it, so they maimed themselves for nothing. And so these were all the different reasons. But in any case, so many of the rishonim, all say these people were not guilty. They didn't do anything wrong. They didn't do anything wrong. So that's in short. Um what I'd like to say about this whole thing is that, you know, basically just not consulting with the father what they did wrong and that zealousness can be good in any trait that we have. We shouldn't look at ourselves. We have a bad trait. Oh, yeah, I have such a bad trait of this. Whatever that trait is, it has a positive flip side for sure. And that flip side can be very good. But here's the question of temper. Temper means you really care. That's, you know, I'm trying to defend anytime we lose it. You know, it means you really care about things. And also it says only it says people that are very wise you know, lose it more. Um, what else to say about temper? You know, t- 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 temper is a, is a sign of of wisdom sometimes because you really are invested in something. Now, there's also very, <laughs> there's plenty of term about the terrible thing because temper means you think you're in control. All kinds of things that temper that are terrible. You know, but I'm just trying to say there's nothing. Every media has a flip side. I was just taking the most extreme, which is having a temper, and saying that even in this case, the zealousness of Levy and 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 Shimon. Can be very very positive. So that's basically what I wanted to say about this week's parsha. I thank you so much for listening. I'll repeat what we talked about. We were saying that. Let me see if I can find it. The struggle. Don't let the struggle affect you. Oh, one more thing I wanted to say. That the reason in 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 Hebrew we have the word for life is chayim. Chayim is it's in plural. And that's because Chaim has different challenges. It's always different—a different nuance, a different mode, and different guises. Like the Sahara has different guises; doesn't have a name. But we're to, to bring out, to squeeze out the best in us, and how we're supposed to—we're supposed to give in to Ace of in this world. And we have to remember we have to have a sense of responsibility. Oh, there were two things I left out. So here they come: small, very small, t- tiny. Okay, um, two more things. Um, Now, the the fact that they were willing to take revenge, Simon and Levi, they did it for the sake of Tznius, because it's not proper to do this to a daughter of Yaakov. We found there's a famous story about 92 base Yaakov girls that took cyanide during World War II because Nazis said they were coming for them. They should get dressed up and they took their lives and they died all kiddush Hashem and made a bracha. I guess they I'm sure they consulted with someone. Um, because lest they lower the stature of Abbas Yisrael. And how important Sineas is. And it really dovetails beautifully with the Hanukkah story because one of the explanations of how this whole story began was that the sister of the Maccabim was getting married. And there was a rule that in those days that every girl that got, was about to get married had to first live with the uh, Greek um, leader before she got married. That was the rule in ancient Greece, I mean, at the time of the nine And she told them, are you gonna do this to me? You're gonna lower my stature as a basi stroll." And this is what started the whole Maccabee movement was a woman protesting the lack of sneas so this very much, that's why it's always like the week before Hanukkah to remind us how precious is the meat of tznias to show like when we are willing to, we're not only doing it to, you know, for, for men and everything, it's the dignity of the Torah and of the Jewish people that we represent by going to this degree of tznias. One more thing is um, that Revolba mentions that the whole idea of Dina losing it you know by her her losing her whole feeling of um how she went out he said people have to beware when they change scenes especially let's say vacations people tend to be more lax where Volba says here when, when we have a Milchemis mitzvah there's a mitzvah in the torah where it's a mitzvah to go out to war they only pick the tzaddikim only the right you're tested how righteous are you when you wage war and yet if they see a beautiful woman that's not Jewish, there's a whole Parsha on it telling us in the Torah what to deal with it. And we're talking about why would a real tzaddik of a, of a man covet a non-Jewish woman? And the reason is when we leave our environment, that's when we're most endangered. And we have to be more cautious in those times because when we have our schedule, our schedule, sometimes our bad schedule, we have to get on good habits, but having a habit is really how we're, we acquire good traits. Being habitual in something is what gets us used to being good. We're supposed to be a hypocrite, Cesar Victor Miller, and we get good traits by being a hypocrite and going against what we feel like doing and do what we should be doing. And then we, be, we acquire good traits. If we lose those the times that we're in habits, that's when we have to be most careful with ourselves and not fall. And that's what we learned from the story of Dina. And last thing is Shira. The Malach said after the whole struggle, he wants to sing Shira. Says Rav Brevda, she rest in peace. That singing, first of all, singing is a big power. That it, it's such a power that it can even, um, it, even you stop the, the the Muhammad with Yaakov to have Shira. It teaches us how important it is for us to praise Hashem. You know, everybody's so busy of making requests all the time. They say that the malachim upstairs dealing with requests, there's busy offices running back and forth with all the prayers we're asking for this, that, and the other. But how many malachim are busy Conveying our praises to Hashem, so to speak. I know our praises go directly to Hashem. We don't have Malacham, so to speak, but it's an uh, analogy that um, when we when we're praising Hashem, how many? What's what's you know like how often is that? We have to make it more frequent because when we're more frequent praising, we're coming up lahodo la is the main feature of Hanukkah. Is the main. Featured. nothing else. Eller Osam Bilvad, just to talk about how Hashem has personally benefited us in our own life and all the things that we do. We have to feel grateful and full of thanksgiving. And and so even Yaakov the, the Malach stops his whole important struggle with Yaakov to show how important Shira is. Because when we when there's praise, praise can overcome all. We can overcome everything, all the vicissitudes, all the adversi- adversities in life by by, by praising Hashem and being grateful. And I'm grateful for you, my listeners. I thank you for listening. I hope I wish you all an amazing week. I will turn off this recording right now. Um, there we go. And um, have a very good week.